Chapter 31 In a word, after having first been a woman, she then, after wavering, after toying with androgyny, seemed to make up her mind to define herself, to become a man completely. J.K. Huysmans, Against Nature, 1884 Babette sits in the study, a thin smile playing across her lips. She holds a printout of several recent emails in shaky hands. I glance through the window. Outside, afternoon sunlight pierces late March clouds. Dark feathered crows dip their thirsty beaks into the full birdbath, and water from recent rains sparkles on grapevine leaves. My professor emits a short laugh and looks up. <laughs> well, well, well. Now, Ross, did you read this? Yeah, it looks as though Mother Superior is concerned about who controls the convent. I'm a little confused. Wouldn't that be Pope John Paul II? She grins deviously. Of course, but things are always a little more complicated. You see, I have made a strategic investment and will become half-owner of the property when it clears. Is this part of your grand seduction plot? Her smile deepens. We shall see. Right now, I have an immediate request. Please come upstairs and assist with a reply on that infernal machine. Sure. Anything to get you up in her Benedictine business. I sit down at the computer, and Babette peers over my shoulder. She recites, Dear Mother Superior, Please do not fret regarding legal ownership of your property. While it shall become a joint venture between the two of us, the demise of any one party will absolutely revert full share to the survivor. As you know, my health is quite fragile these days, and God only knows how many more years remain me on this mortal coil. Please view our financial arrangement as a gift to our Lord through you, and every good work the convent performs in his spirit. I shall visit very soon. Please give my best wishes to the other sisters. In the devoted path of Christ, Sister Elizabeth. I type out the final sentence. Okay, does that look correct? My professor squints at the screen. Yes, excellent. Do you find my religious language excessive? Seems kind of over the top, but considering your audience, it's probably fine. I click send. Consider it sealed and delivered. Babette shakes her head. God, what a world we live in. Oh, I should also let you know, Naomi Fields will move back soon, probably next weekend. Really? I'm surprised. Your last several fights were pretty epic. Oh, we have our squabbles, but I really enjoy that girl's company. We made up and want our relationship renewed with more understanding. I know I can be a trial at times. Hardly a trial. You're more like an international tribunal. Ross, you beast! I earlier speculated about taking you out for lunch at the golf course. Now I have quite lost my appetite. That's fine. I'm sure there's some cheese moldering away in the kitchen for when it returns. That is unfortunately not the case. I must replenish my cheese supply, and so will overlook this harsh criticism. Perhaps you might drive me to the supermarket, and then we may eat out afterward? I nod. Sounds like a plan. I'll remember your delicate feelings in the future. Next Saturday, Naomi appears on our doorstep, her old Buick parked before the hedge. It is stuffed with boxes. I step outside and approach. 
So, can't stay away. She sets a bag full of clothes down, and we hug. Well, you know how it is. There's no one like Bobby. Her fine red hair is styled differently now, with short bangs. Otherwise, Naomi seems the same, her face friendly, though slightly guarded. Babette now descends the staircase and raises expectant arms outward. I turn away while the two embrace and help carry more possessions inside. That evening, all three of us play Scrabble. Our laughter fills the house and Babette decidedly wins every game. Once she departs for bed, I gather up tiles from the final defeat. Naomi raises a thin eyebrow at me across the kitchen table. So, what's the real deal around here? She asks. Oh god, lucky you missed the drama in December. I took Babette to St. Vincent Hospital early one morning, taught a college-level class, then broke her out after she yanked a catheter tube and bled everywhere. That's when she proposed marriage to me. Naomi chuckles. I moved out just in time. I laugh as well. <laughs> sure, it's funny now. At the time, I thought she'd expire right in front of me. What else? Oh, her driving is still terrible. Last week, she backed into the neighbor's truck across the street again. I think it must be at least the third time since I've lived here. Don't you chauffeur? Usually, but when I'm at school or elsewhere, there's no stopping her. So what's up with you then? Besides the engagement to Babette, I mean. Hey, shut up. Mostly schoolwork and some odd jobs on the side. I've got a few friends I see, make it out dancing whenever possible, and still smash capitalism when there's time. Naomi smirks and stands up. She rummages for cocktail mixer in a cupboard. Sounds like your same old routine then? Dating anyone? Well, I don't know. It's usually complicated. Girls? Boys? I said shut up. She pours herself a drink and settles back down. Like it matters. Anyway, Bobby does pass on the occasional rumor. I smile. It's good having you back, Naomi. Our household dynamic holds stable over several months. We watch mystery films in the evenings or play board games together. Babette takes us out for meals and sometimes on weekend trips to Yakima for classical musical performances. With enough credits earned at Portland Community College, I begin classes at Portland State University and enroll as a history major. One sunny Wednesday in late April, I come home from school and find Naomi stubbing out a cigarette with her heel on the front sidewalk. She glances over anxiously. I set down my satchel and frown. Smoking again, huh? Naomi sighs. Not ordinarily. Bobby hates the smell. Today, though, things have me a bit on edge. How do you mean? I ask. Naomi jerks her head toward the house. Just don't know what's gotten into her lately. Bobby's agitated, got a serious bee in her bonnet. Ha, <laughs> more like a wasp's nest, and I think she was born with it. Naomi wrinkles her nose. I don't know. Today we had lunch at the golf course, and she absolutely tormented our waitress. Ordered something, then sent it back, claiming it was wrong. She pulled the same trick with dessert, then complained about awful service. Nearly made the poor girl cry. I told her to stop, but she just laughed at what fun it was. I don't see why she'd be so capricious like that. Naomi smooths a lock of hair behind one ear. It was really sad. Just keep on your toes. I know she dislikes how much time you spend out these days. That's news. I usually get a comment about, enjoy your youth while you can, or something. Well, remember, what our friend says and thinks are often quite different. Yeah, true enough. Oh, I'm visiting Seattle this weekend. My friend James is coming through town after a California road trip on Friday and will pick me up. I'll hop a Greyhound back Sunday. 
That's your blonde friend who visited the winter before last, right? Yeah, him and Babette totally hit it off. They both love Scrabble, and he's a plant expert, so together, there were plenty of observations about how I could maintain the yard better. Naomi exhales and pops a mint in her mouth. Well, as long as you're just gone a couple of days, I can probably hold down the fort. I've said this before, Bobby's on much better behavior around you. Understood. Don't worry, I'm pretty sure we can handle her together. Smoke spirals up from her crushed cigarette butt. Through an open upstairs window, strains of Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet overture float by on a light breeze. Every yard is filled with hopeful blooms and newly sprouted greenery. The heady scent of cultivation and warm soil surrounds us as majestic notes rise and fall. Next Friday, I return from class to find James enjoying early afternoon tea and cookies with Babette and Naomi in the backyard. The sun is bright and they sit around our small patio table, umbrella raised. My friend waves, his face all smiles. Hey, I made it here a couple hours ago and found some excellent hospitality. Babette gestures at him with her cup. Young James offered much sage advice about the tomatoes I plan on growing this summer. He really is a wellspring of botanical knowledge. I nod. Hopefully he can be a remote resource. I am a better forklift operator than gardener. This thumb is far from green. James takes a sip of his tea. Seriously, Babette showed us pictures from years ago when she still did all the yard work. There was even a newspaper spread featuring her flowers. My professor purses her lips and half laughs. Quite, though sadly those days are long gone. So what do you two have planned for today? James looks at me questioningly. Well, I'd like to make Seattle tonight, but there's no hurry. It's been a while since I last visited, so perhaps we could spend the afternoon sightseeing. Maybe drive up Council Crest, get a view of the city, walk around downtown, find some food, and then head north. Sound good? I shade my eyes against sunlight that angles past the overhead canopy. Solid plan. Babette clears her throat. <clears throat> Would you perhaps enjoy supper here? I could prepare something, a pork roast? James bobs his head. That sounds delicious. What time would you like us back? My professor throws up her hands. Oh, return whenever you like. It is not important. We should have some idea, I cut in. What, six or seven, maybe? Now, now, Babette tuts. If you are late, we will keep the food warm. Please go enjoy yourselves today. She waves us off. Dismissed, James and I climb into his rusty Dotson pickup. Once over the Willamette River, we pass through southwest Portland, where buildings become evergreen trees and eventually a winding road leads upward. The motor strains in protest around and around and around. We park at the Council Crest Summit and step outside into warm, dry air. It's a complete panorama. The entire river valley stretches out before us, end to end. Snow-capped Mount Hood dominates the eastern skyline, and Mount St. Helens' shattered hulk lies north in Washington state. We stand, gazing, awestruck. I point down towards the Willamette, a sluggish blue ribbon splitting Portland in half. That second closest span is the Ross Island Bridge. A bit over from that, you can see Reed College. The big green area is Eastmoreland, my neighborhood. James squints. You're really sold on this town, aren't you? Yeah, I love it. Who knows what'll happen, though? It's still a year until graduation. Makes sense if I stay with Babette long enough to earn my bachelor's degree.
Can things last? You said she's had a lot of drama with Naomi. True. Their situation is different, though. I've made a bunch of friends here, go out all the time, and Babette doesn't mind. Poor Naomi takes an evening off, and they argue over it for days. I've stayed much more independent. So, would you take care of Babette beyond graduation? If she asked. The breeze picks up, and several dandelion puffs float by us. They drift over the city, disappearing against white easterly clouds. I don't know. Babette's become, like, family. Of course, her adventures are a rush. You never know what crazy thing might come along next. James shrugs lazily. Well, as far as our scheme today, you mind staying low-key and just hang out here for a while? We could catch a movie later or grab a beer somewhere. No reason we can't do both. Gladiator is at the cheap theaters. I've wanted to check that out since Babette can't shut up about Roman times. I read a review that said it has Marcus Aurelius in it. He's her messiah, more or less. Fantastic. Yeah, let's do it. After another 40 minutes, we drive down from Council Crest and share a pitcher of beer in the darkened Lorehurst Theater. Every other row of seats has been replaced with long tables for drinks and food. Glasses clink along with battle cries as gladiators hack each other to bits, and Marcus Aurelius is deposed by his conniving son. The film lasts longer than expected, and my timepiece reads 7.10 when we leave. The drive back takes another 15 minutes. Inside the house, garlic and heavy meat aromas fill the air. On the kitchen counter lies a half-devoured pork roast, and beside it, several garlic potatoes. I bring my nose close for a rapturous sniff, then peer out the window. Babette and Naomi sit around the small patio table, empty plates before them. Well, they didn't keep it warm, but there's some good food here, I observe. James moves toward the door. Let's tell Babette about seeing Marcus Aurelius on the big screen. She'll be so excited. We step outside, but my professor's icy glare freezes us in our tracks. I have never seen such disrespectful behavior, she erupts. Preparing a delicious supper and then watching it sit uneaten by people who cannot be bothered to arrive in a timely fashion. Babette, I interject, you said we shouldn't worry. Excuses, she thunders. After everything I have done for you, this is unacceptable. I have never felt so insulted. I glance at Naomi. She looks away, eyes downcast. James shuffles his feet. I'm sorry, we clearly misunderstood. Babette snorts. <laughs> if you must eat, there is cold food. James and I hurriedly retreat back into the kitchen. What was that about? He asks. Seriously, I heard her say it didn't matter when we came back, right? Yeah, I don't know. She's never gotten like this before. Sure, we disagree occasionally, but Babette has never raised her voice at me. It's how she is with Naomi. James looks at the pork. If I wasn't so hungry, I'd suggest we find dinner elsewhere. Let's just eat and hit the road. Maybe she'll cool down while I'm in Seattle. We fill a couple plates with meat and potatoes, then sit down in the breakfast nook. Even tepid, my professor's cooking is spectacular. Outside, sunlight fades, casting amber speckles through the tree leaves. After a few minutes, Babette's heavy tread sounds through the back door. Her slippers smack against the kitchen linoleum. She pauses and leans against the counter, face lined and weary, then takes a deep breath. <sighs> I am sorry. She scans from James's face to mine. It was long, shouting like that. 
Ross, you have been such a help. And James, I adore you as well. Please forgive me. I haven't felt well lately. My health is unstable, but that should be no excuse. Oh, Babette, that's fine. Don't worry about it, I tell her. Really, don't feel bad, James cuts in. It was just a mistake. Babette flashes a wan smile. Understand, my intent was not malevolent. At any rate, I will go upstairs now and relax. I nod. Okay, goodbye then. I'll call from Seattle and check how you're doing. My professor drops her gaze briefly. Thank you. How considerate. I bid you both adieu. She turns and leaves the room. James looks at me. So, how ready are you? We got a late drive ahead of us. There's just a few things I need from the basement. Hold on a moment. Naomi appears from outside with a handful of dishware. She deposits them in the sink and beckons at me. Did Bobby mention the jacuzzi? No. She reported a strange smell earlier. Maybe the chlorine levels need adjustment or something. I don't know. It's not my department. Okay, just a minute, James. Let me check on that. It'll only take a few. From the broom closet, I grab a box of supplies and hurry outside. Low-hanging branches camouflage the green-veiled alcove, and an unseen spiderweb snags my face with a tiny snap as miniature filaments tear. I lift the plastic cover and steam billows up, more aromatic than usual. I dip paper testing strips into the water and compare colors against a laminated chart. As suspected, the balance is off-kilter. I measure powdered chemicals into a plastic cup, pour them in, and stir with my arm. After several minutes, I repeat the test. This time, every colored strip reaches the right level. Hopefully, that smell will dissipate by the next time Babette wants a soak. I return inside and put everything away, but something feels wrong. All is strangely still. Only the antique clock sound. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. I pass through the kitchen and almost collide with Naomi, standing in the dining room. She stares at me, face drained, eyes wide with shock. Ross, she whispers urgently. Bobby just came downstairs and tore poor James apart for no reason at all. She sent him away, and he left. I've never seen her so vicious. What the hell? She only just apologized, I exclaim. Where did he go? She was like a rabid animal, just unreal. Go find James. I think he must be outside. Then come back. I rush out the front door as an engine grinds behind the hedge. It doesn't quite catch. My friend sits at the wheel of his Datsun and tries again. This time it rumbles into life. He rolls down the driver's side window as I approach. James, what on earth happened? He slaps the dashboard helplessly. I don't know. After you stepped outside, Babette came downstairs. She yelled at me, said I was a bad influence, no longer welcome in her house, and that you should leave as well. So I left. It was awful, just out of nowhere. Okay. I gotta get this sorted out. Hold tight. My friend nods, grimly. I spin on my heel and return inside. Naomi sits at the kitchen table, a tumbler already half-emptied before her. She looks up when I enter. Did you find James? Yeah, he didn't get far. So what's this about Babette kicking me out? That's what she said. Did she mean gone tonight, when I return from Seattle? What's going on? Naomi takes a deep gulp of her drink. You'd better talk with her. Poor James, that was no way to treat a guest. She wipes her eyes with the back of a hand. Okay, thanks. I'll see what I can do. Heart heavy, I mount the darkened staircase. 
Every step creaks in a familiar way under my boots. No sound emanates from Babette's room, but a faint light glows through the open doorway. I pause atop the landing and take a couple deep breaths. My knuckles tap gently against the door jamb. Still nothing. I peek through and spy my professor sitting on the edge of her bed, bathrobe untied and wig in her hands. Babette, can we talk? She stares at me silently, face slack and eyes blank. I enter the chamber. The air is thick with perfume and menthol skin ointment. In one corner lurks General Bonafont's old wooden desk, with the large toy tanker truck and model Stuka dive bomber on top. I sit down beside her. At last, Babette looks over at me. She swallows, her features lit soft and deep by the nightstand lamp. I bite my lip and meet her gaze. Do you really want me to leave? Babette's jaw twitches. No, Ross, I do not wish that. She touches a hand to her temple. No apologies can undo my actions tonight. I behaved shamefully, and there is no excuse. Do you think James will forgive me? Well, I don't know. You should probably wait and try an apology later. He seems pretty shook up. Oh, time often heals. But do you understand my greatest fear? Solitude! Naomi is flighty. She may stay or she may go. So when I feel as though I cannot rely on you, my mind reacts with fright. I lose all control. With ill health, it is important I am not left alone. Do you see that? I place a hand on her shoulder and squeeze. Babette, of course I understand that, but I need to find expectations. If it concerns you, I have friends and sometimes stay out all night. Tell me. This can't work if you play games or keep things to yourself and then blow up without warning. Babette picks up a half-full glass of mineral water from her nightstand and sets it down empty. My nature does not welcome introspection, but the reality is I sometimes find myself in the midst of some speech or act that from within feels repellent, yet I cannot stop. I am captive, watching helplessly. Tonight was a terrible example, more than once, and I am embarrassed at having spoken harshly at poor James, who did nothing wrong. Oh, the look on his face haunts me so, but I couldn't stop. The words erupted with no mercy, and nothing can bring them back. She reaches out and takes my hand. I smile at her. There are things we all regret, but I need to make sure we're on the same page, if you really want me here. Babette's brow furrows. I wish you would remain. Just please remember, more time may be asked of you as my conditions require. No, I appreciate everything you have done for me, and desire leaving this sorry incident far behind. Have a good time in Seattle, or do give James my apologies.